Well, hello everybody and welcome to the second episode of our podcast, uh, not particularly imaginatively named Evangelism and Discipleship Podcast. Now, just to remind you all that we are looking for a good name. If you've come up with uh, something that you think would work better, do let us know. Um, we're not stuck on that name, are we, Dave? Well, it's hard to believe that there could be anything better than that name, but um, just in case there is, we're, we're definitely not stuck on that name. No, indeed. Well, it's nice to be with you again, Dave. We've got a, a great episode ahead of us today talking about sports and well-being uh, and the, the, the ministry of that and uh, in the Church of England. Yeah, I'm excited about this episode. Um, it's, uh, it's a big passion of mine. Mm. So we're hearing from Bishop Libby, um, who Libby Lane, who is um, diocesan bishop at um, Derby, but she's also the lead bishop for sports um, and and well-being, isn't she? She is, yeah, and uh, and also Andy Parker, who's uh, a, a professor. Actually, uh, part of his work is around sports, and he's been involved in uh, sports and sports ministry for years and years. Uh, and then uh, Nat Andrews is uh, one of our colleagues who's heading up the National Sports Project now, just started working with us uh, in the summer. Mm, yes, joined during the pandemic, which is a strange time to join, but she's really got up and running very quickly. So it's great to hear how that's going from her in, uh, uh, in this episode. Um, we've also got some great stories, actually. We've got some stories of sports and well-being being used um, in, in youth work and also in, um, in an area of new housing around a fresh expression. So there's really lots for us to get, um, get our teeth into. Dave, you said you're really passionate about this, and I know that you were instrumental in getting the National Sports and Wellbeing Project up and, and running, which is, is uh, where Nat's um, now, now based. So tell us a bit about that. Yes, I mean, um, when I came into this role in the evangelism and discipleship team, I uh, had this real sense that sport is is and well-being is really important, uh, both in the life of our nation and uh, in terms of evangelism uh, and discipleship. Um, and what I did was I called some experts together and some uh, dioceses that were doing stuff around sports and well-being and said to them, what, what could we do together? And actually, Andy Parker, who we're going to be talking to later, was one of the people that was instrumental in this because he's been thinking about these issues for probably the last 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so we gathered together for about nine months on and off just saying, well, what, what should we be doing? Um, and then we came up with the idea, really, of, of saying, well, what if a diocese could think strategically about how it uses sport um, and how could we help it to do that? So more than just this is about sports and well-being ministry and helping people to run different programs. But what if we could get dioceses to think strategically about how they use sport in their diocese for evangelism uh, and discipleship? And that that led to the whole thing and Nat's appointment. I mean, this is this has been already a kind of two and a half year journey. So I'm excited we're at this key point in the journey where it, it's becoming more and more real as things grow. And then the appointment of Bishop Libby was just such a, a, a great gift with that as well. Mm. Well, let's hear from Bishop Libby because I know that she's really um, enthusiastic about this uh, type of, of work. So let's hear from Bishop Libby now. great to have with us uh, today Bishop Libby Lane. 
uh, Libby is the Bishop of Derby. Great that you could join us today. Thank you for making time for us. Uh, really glad to be with you, Dave. Um, as we're thinking about sport and faith, um, uh, the obvious first question is, have you always been interested in sport? Uh, yes. Um, being a Manchester United supporter is part of my DNA. So um, um, I was a Red before I knew that I was a Red. Um, it's, it's just part of my family's life. Um, so absolutely, always, always um, uh, been interested in football. Um, I started dancing when I was three and um, did dance training uh, until I went to university and then um, carried on doing dance lessons till I was about 30. Um, so just being physically active has always been part of my life. Uh, I rode a lot at university. Now, um, you're here because you are the Church of England's lead bishop for sport. Um, so uh, tell us about that and what does the role entail? Um, so there'd been uh, really good work being done um, through sport and sports ministry and sports chaplaincy. Um, and uh, Bishop Tony Porter had done a really good job of being building up a network of ambassadors for sport. Um, and the request was that somebody would step into that space. Um, and I said I would do that, um, but my passion for sport and my conviction around the place of sport in the life of the nation uh, meant that um, I wanted that role to be something broader and deeper. Um, and so the Church of England has Leeds Bishop for all sorts of things that we think are important. And I think sport is important. Uh, so I said I would, I would take this on um, to be lead bishop of sport. And so you've said that you think uh, sport plays a, a role in our country. Tell us a bit more about what that role might be, you think. Well, I know what place sport has in my own life. Um, in terms of uh, my own well-being and enjoyment. Um, in terms of my own sense of identity and belonging. Um, I know the way that sport helps both create and um, divide communities. Um, we recognise the ways that, that sport and, and well-being, physical health, is so important for human flourishing. Uh, part of what it is to be human is to have that kind of... Um, interaction for pleasure not for purpose mm. um, and so sport has part of that as well it's also a huge economic driver in our nation mm. um, so it it kind of impacts every bit of what it is to be human and to be society mm. so I think it's really key yeah and do you think it's a force for good I certainly think it can be uh, I mean, I think it has real capacity to be a force for good. Um, as I say, I know what a force for good it has been in my own life, and I've, mm. I've seen that in other people's lives. Of course, it can be manipulated and abused and uh, misused, um, and we see that in all sorts of ways. Um, I mentioned about um, the economic drivers around sport and there are real ambiguities um, around the way money interacts with sport. Um, we've been very conscious in recent years about how the context of sport 
can be manipulated by those um, with evil intent um, who've taken opportunity um, to, to be able to access vulnerable um, children and young people and abuse them. Um, obviously, sport can piggyback on um, uh, social and cultural divide and be used to entrench that. So obviously there are ways that sport can be detrimental to human flourishing or can be used to be detrimental to human flourishing and, um, and the building of good society. But I think fundamentally it is a force for good and I want to be part of that. Mm. I'm, I'm 43 and I think it's, it's only in the last two years that I've seen women sports uh, and athletes in, in positions of, say, commentary on, on uh, matches or punditry or, you know, the cricket, um, Sky Sports cricket team, uh, commentary team has got some fabulous, strong women's voices yep. in there. Absolutely. And so I think that representation can be so important. I mean, I think um, for women to be is one particular demographic that's really important who, who are visible and who, who are heard um, in sports commentary and, um, and to have high profile place in uh, the, the community of sport. Uh, but it's not only women, is it? It's, it's um, black and minority ethnic, it's um, uh, those with uh, disabilities or different abilities, uh, it's those from all sorts of demographics who are overlooked or ignored or, or um, suppressed. Um, so it's really, sport can do that. Um, mm. Sport can give voice to people. Sport can be a place where people see themselves and are given um, hope and desire and, and see, what, see possibility. Mm. Yeah. Sport, sport can be... A reflection and echo of the kingdom of God, therefore. <laughs> nice, I like that. Um, I mean, it, as you said, sports um, impact in the country is huge. You know, probably up to half the population in the country are playing sport. Um, but sometimes I think the church has seen sport as a threat. You know, the whole Sunday morning thing and kids don't come and stuff. Um, uh, how how do you think churches can be more involved in sporting activities in their communities? Well, I think the first thing is that if half the population are involved in sport and and physical activity and leisure activity that includes physical movement, and I suspect that ends up being more than fifty percent, um, that's people who go to church. And so I think the first thing we can do is just be people and. To, to, you know, to join in with the things that we find life-giving and, and, and are good for us and give us pleasure and join in those with our neighbours and our colleagues and people that we, you know, meet in the rambling group or in our gym or, um, you know, in the, the toddler gym club that we go to with our kids, whatever it is that we do, just be people and, and be disciples while we're being people. So I think that's the first thing. Um, I think also, of course, the, the huge cultural shift that we've been through in the last couple of generations has impacted um, inherited 
practice of church attendance on a Sunday and um, the availability of sport over the weekend and the expansion of um, uh, kind of ordinary people engaging in sport, including uh, children and young people, has impacted that. But it's not the only thing that's impacted that. So I don't see that as of itself um, something that's opposed to what it is to be church and to uh, practice um, our faith faithfully um, and responding to it as a threat isn't going to make it go away or make it better so let's be creative and entrepreneurial and um, innovative honour sport and physical activity for the blessing and the godly thing that it is um, our bodies are the stuff of God um, you know, we're gloriously and wonderfully made. Um, God treasures our physicality. God chose to take on our physicality. We should rejoice in that and find ways to, to, to rejoice with others who, um, you know, enjoy their embodiment and want to, or want to improve the ways their bodies work or use our physicality as ways of making relationship and connection and sense of purpose. Those things are things to be rejoiced in. And actually, I think particularly now, churches can be catalysts and agents for facilitating that common good around physical activity and physical well-being that so impacts our mental and emotional and spiritual well-being. And we can get in those spaces um, and actually transform lives for good by being intentional about it. It's interesting, isn't it? There's quite a lot of sporting language, for instance, in the New Testament, you know, running the base and training and all those. And that link between discipleship and discipline, you know, is a strong link, isn't it, for people in sport? It absolutely is. And there is a thing, there is something about discipline and sport that is valuable around uh, discipleship. There's also something really important, I think, about, about pleasure. And um, uh, yeah, yeah, as I was saying earlier, just being wanting to delight in, in our bodies that is also deeply biblical. Um, and so yeah, there are ways that that those echoes and those metaphors can help us make connections with people who are really comfortable in sport and physical activity and not so comfortable in the things of, of uh, faith and religion and, and uh, uh, the spirit. And those might be valuable tools to use. But I have misgivings about the church um, appropriating sport uh, simply as a means to an end mm. um, that doesn't genuinely um, recognise and honour the, the sport and physical activity and um, the value of that for itself mm. and recognise God in it. Um, uh, so just using sporting metaphor or occasions of sport to try and shoehorn in, um, mm. you know, religious stuff 
Um, I think we need to be careful about that. Uh, I, that feels like a bit, a bit like a kind of a misappropriation that people will see through anyway. People aren't daft that, you know, they know whether we're doing things with integrity. Um, yeah. It reminds me a bit of that line, um, and I'm sure people will kind of tell, email us in and let us know this, but that line from Eric Little in Chariots of Fire, I don't know whether he actually said it, but that line of, I feel God's pleasure when I run, is, is very much what you're saying there, isn't it? It's about I the way... I think it is. It's a, yeah, it's about, it's about God's desire that we are fully what God intends us to be, and that includes fully valuing our, our, our bodies, whatever our bodies are like. I mean, most of us don't have bodies that do what Eric Little's body was able to do. We don't get anywhere near close to that. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that we don't feel God's pleasure in, in being fully human. Yeah, there is something about sport that does that, doesn't it? Um, what, you know, I was playing cricket last night, we lost, I was out for one, still came back and said, that was a great <laughs> evening, you know, enjoyment of it being with other people, the sunshine, this, yeah. Well, good for you for being out there and doing it. I'm afraid um, my sport is, is mostly engaged in from an armchair nowadays. <laughs> well, I think the way my season's gone so far, it, it may be my last, but I'll, no. keep, <laughs> going. I'll keep going. Um, the other bit I was going to ask you linked to that is um, obviously we're starting as the Church of England this National Sports and Wellbeing Project working with Seven Pilot Diocese and you've been very much involved in that Bishop Libya. I wonder what some of your hopes uh, in terms of the outcomes of, of this project might be. Well I think we've we've touched on them really. These are I think are um, spaces for uh, exploration and innovation and experimentation um, and uh, I think they are some of it is new to us although not necessarily new of itself um, and some of it will will fly and work really well and some of it won't but that's the way it's meant to be with pilots and um, that's okay so um, I don't want to be too tied to um, you know, it hasn't worked if these particular um, key performance indicators haven't been hit. Um, it's more that um, an outcome will be opening up these prospects and possibilities, not just for these seven dioceses, but, but much more widely. Um, I would hope an outcome would be something of a shift of culture. The church, certainly the Western Protestant church, doesn't have a very good history with bodies mm. uh, you know I, I think and if this if this enables some really good lived theology even if it's um if people don't know that's what they're doing um but just redresses some of the balance about um you know godliness being about the spirit and not about the body or that our bodies are instinctively leaders into evil. Um, if, if these pilots redress some of that, I think, fundamental um, misconception um, that sometimes the church has or has been understood to have, that too would be really good. But I also hope that the outcomes are that 
um, that the church is in places, the church as the body of Christ, as well as the institution, um, is in places that we are missing at the moment. Um, and that we can do that with real integrity and passion and conviction, not just because of what we can get out of it, but because we recognize that that's where Christ is. And so that's where we should be. Um, if in the process of that, we are able to reach people with the good news of Christ and they are touched and transformed and themselves become disciples, then that's always my prayer, in whatever context we're in. And so that would be, I would rejoice in that outcome too. Yeah, I'm really encouraged actually to hear that that kind of incarnation uh, being being so much at the heart of that. I've, I've felt that, found that really, really useful. Thank you. And yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us, Libby. Two final questions. Yes. Which sports person do you most admire and why? Yeah, um, you told me you were going to ask me this question. I find it really, really hard to, to narrow this down. Um, but I'm going to say Rio Ferdinand. Hmm. Um, I, I, I loved watching him play football, um, but um, uh, so you have to excuse me, Dave, because it, it gives me an excuse to return to Manchester United. Um, <laughs> but partly the reason that I mention him is because he's so clearly flawed. Mm. I mean, he's seriously flawed, and, but he has faced those flaws. Mm. And the reason that, I mean, I think he was a, 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 an exceptionally good footballer in an era when um, you know it was a delight to be a United fan, and but but actually it's not that reason why I mentioned him. It's because he found a way to use that platform um, to to be human and to really intentionally give other people permission to be human. Mm -hmm. And I think particularly um, his work about. Um, around facing the grief and the grief mm. his family faced um, when his wife died and uh, mm. his um, mother died and uh, being part of uh, that, the kind of cultural shift around mental health mm. um, that he's been so articulate about. So he's not a perfect person by any stretch of the imagination. There's lots of decisions he's made and things he's done that I would not want to condone or encourage. Um, but it's being a flawed human being who nonetheless has used his platform to address things that I think really matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good chance, I think. Um, I'll just remember he played for West Ham and Leeds as well, as well as that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll pass over that. Yeah, yeah. If you, so um, lastly then, just a bit more um, sport trivia, but if you could travel back in time to any significant sporting event, what would it be and why? Yeah, and, and again, um, I don't want to be too pious about this, but actually, I think it would be the, um, uh, the Olympic Games in Berlin before the Second World War, and the way that sport was able to completely undercut the, um, the evil that, um, uh, that the embryonic, no, it wasn't even embryonic at that stage, but the, the growing Nazi regime was propagating. Um, I mean, I think it would have been extraordinary to see um, Owens compete and, and achieve mm. those things as, a, as sporting events in themselves. But I think 
it, it was an occasion when, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have liked to have been there because it was a huge, um, you know, propaganda tool for something absolutely condemned. But, but the fact that sport completely undercut that, um, I think was, was a remarkable occasion. Mm. Yeah, thank you. No, I mean, it just reminds us again of what you said, you know, towards the beginning, the power of sport to be, to be able to cut across that kind of evil was, was amazing. So thank you for that. And um, Bishop Libby, thank you for joining us uh, during the podcast. We really enjoyed you being part of this. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about what you're doing as lead Bishop of Sport. So thank you for joining us. It's been really good to be with you, Heather and Dave. Thank you very much indeed. So welcome to our next guest, uh, Andrew Parker. Um, Andrew's in Bristol and uh, will tell us a bit more about himself in a moment. But Andrew, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this sports podcast. Pleasure. Um, so firstly, have you always been interested in sport? Yeah, I think so. I um, came from a, a fairly sporty family. So, um, yeah, you know, as a, as a young person got involved in sport and... Uh, so it's always been a central theme for me. And give us, take us back to Andrew Parker at primary school. And you're in that horrible, you know, that all the people lining up to be picked. Um, roughly, you know, would you be one of the first picked in the middle or would you be one of those poor kids left behind where the teacher goes, you, 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 and just puts you in different teams? Where, yeah. where, where, where would you be if we could go back in time? I'd be in the middle, I think. I, was, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't great at sport at school. Um, so, yeah, probably middle. And, of course, I was a PE teacher in my, in my early working life, and that, that probably stimulated all of that. I, didn't, I think it sort of taught me something about not leaving children out or trying to be fair to people. And so that, that bounced into my career. It never left me. It scarred me, clearly. <laughs> I mean, it has a lot, it does a lot of people, doesn't it, actually, those yeah. experiences from school? Yeah, it's funny. When you tell people you're, you were a PE teacher, um, you know, you, you, you say just in passing in social, in social gatherings, and somebody will say something about cross-country running. Are you the person that made people go, well, well of course I was. I wore the ski coat and you were in your, in your, you know, in your shorts. That's, what, that's why you become a PE teacher. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, now, you are not just Andrew Parker, but you're Professor Andrew Parker. Um, so uh, does that mean you know all the answers uh, on questions of sport? No, I'm hopeless at question of sport, but I love Phil Tufnell. Um, I'm, I'm rubbish at the mystery guest. I'm always convinced it's Sue Barker. <laughs> so tell us what... How, how do you become a professor in sport? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I came, once I got working in university, I went from PE teaching to training PE teachers. And then, of course, I had a disciplinary aspect to that, which was social sciences. And I think then, whilst my work got broader in terms of academic and theoretical things, um, sport was always underpinning. And so... Um, I've always been fortunate enough to, to, to really relate sport to what I've done academically. And also, as you know, as an academic, you have to carry out research. And so my research has always been in and around sport. I did a lot of work in the 90s around 
uh, professional football and academies and how we nurture young players. And then sort of from 20, uh, 2005 onwards, um, my research has been about how we use sport in criminal justice settings, sport in prison, sport in terms of trying to break cycles of crime in people's lives, etc. So it's always it's always been there. Um, and, it, and eventually, of course, sport and faith came together, which was which was a bonus. And um, you've obviously used sport as a potential for good in those areas you've just mentioned, the criminal justice. And and, and so what um, uh, what do you think the mission and evangelism potential is for sport in this country? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's huge. Heather. I really do. Um, if we can if we can convince enough people that sport's a great way to engage those of all ages, and if we can convince churches uh, and funders to invest properly and resource that well, then I, I think, you know, there's no stopping us, if you like. I think it'd be a fantastic, a new, an extra dimension to what church can offer. So in terms of mission and evangelism, obviously I'm, I'm a convert, aren't I? And, and I just want everybody else to be, but... Um, you know, it's. I think it's just huge. I, I think we've only scratched the surface as yet. Mm. And what's your kind of dream for that engagement, that that you using sport in that way? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I, I'd like to. I'd like to see a whole generation of sports ministers trained up, and I'd like. I'd like to see every church in the UK um, have access to one of those people. And what do you see are the biggest barriers to this, this kind of growing this, uh, this field? Yeah, I think um, funding's one of them, obviously. So that's always going to be there, isn't it? We, we accept that. And part of my job is to make sure that we release that funding um, or find out where it is and then release it. Um, but I think one of the problems is we've, we've still got quite long-held and traditional ideas about sport and sporting activity somehow not being spiritual. Mm. Um, or a waste of time or nothing to do with faith and I think you know when in 2008 when I stepped into that sport faith role at the University of Gloucestershire I, it really struck me that those ideas are still there they're Victorian ideas of course um, but you know somehow that sport is a distraction from faith or something that we we could be using the time more wisely you know for me it's it's the opposite it's mm. it's a place where I, I believe God builds us for that, and He wants us to engage in that world. And it's just a huge um, potential harvest field. Mm. And what signs of hope are you seeing? Yeah, well, obviously the the Church of England strategy, which I love, and um, just a real privilege to be involved with. And but more importantly, I think um, you know we've got about fifty sports ministry parachurch organizations in this country and and they've been doing some great work for many years and i just you know if we can sort of tie this thing together we can pull this stuff together now and we can have 10 good years as a run at this and really establish um you know sort of traditional church and parachurch organizations get everybody on message really get some momentum behind that so that there's then a platform that that doesn't diminish over time that's a sustainability conversation obviously but I just think that would be fantastic. Having gone back to your primary school childhood days with <clears throat> Andrew Parker in shorts, if we now go to your kind of dotage when you're in your slippers and cardigan and pipe in 10, 15 years time, 
what what would you what would you love to, in a sense to be your legacy uh, out of this in terms of the Church of England and its relationship to sport and faith? Um, I mean, you, you know, you two know me well enough. I'm, I'm a fairly one-dimensional thinker. I can do one thing at once, and that's about it. But I think that my role in that process really is to build Ridley all into a training hub for sports ministry in the UK and beyond. Um, and that means establishing education and training pathways there, right from taster uh, courses and events up to PhD study, um, and to bring together the right people to make that happen. So um, rather, than, rather than that being my legacy or something I can contribute, it's really, it's really just about bringing people together to do that. Um, but that's, that's the one thing I, I hope I can contribute to a little bit. And why, why are you so passionate about training sports ministry uh, in, in, this, uh, in this project and through this, through this legacy, as it were? Why, why is that something you're so passionate about? Yeah, it's a good question, Heather, actually. But I suppose, I suppose apart from sport, the other common theme right across my working life is young people. I'm really passionate about young people and particularly disadvantaged young people. Um, and, and I know that sports ministers, they, sports ministers can have a fantastic impact on people of all ages, but I'm, I'm really passionate about those sports ministers, that generation reaching, reaching those young people. You know, we, we need to engage them in some way. We know that there are very few ways we can do that. Music, popular culture, sport, probably, you know, uh, performing arts. We, there are certain things that those, those young people engage with. And so I, I think that, um, I'm really passionate about encouraging and empowering uh, sports ministers to, to just be in that space um, and be, you know, be the people that young people feel, feel like they can engage with. Mm. So there's an agility to that as well as sports ministry expertise. There's the whole thing about relationship. Everything depends on relationship. And um, I'm a firm believer that, that, you know, one of the ways we can really make progress in, in, in today's society is by first focusing on one-to-one -one relationships particularly. Um, we, we talk in, in our church about small church and the importance of small church and it's, it's a big church to talk about small church. And I often say to my senior pastor, small church doesn't get any smaller than one-to-one. -one. Um, and I'm, I'm really convinced that that is something that certainly I need to be training sports ministers in, that whole relational piece around who they are, what they stand for, but, but just to journey with people, Let, let's just build relationship. And it's really exciting to see that developing at Ridley Hall. And obviously they've got the streams around youth ministry as well. So that there's so much overlap, isn't there, between what you've described there as your passions. And um, so what, tell us a little bit more about the Ridley Hall role that you're doing. Yeah, so I think um, we've set up a Last summer, we set up a, a, a piloted a one-year course at um, highest, uh, Higher Education Certificate, which was really just, um, it, as I've said, it was a pilot. It was a trial to see if there was a market for that and a way in which we could train sports ministers and bring them into that higher educational setting. Um, and that's gone really well, and that's now going to develop into, a, into a, an undergraduate degree course. And I also work with St. Paddens uh, Institute in at Cardiff, which is the Church in Wales uh, Theological College, and there we have the the Masters in Sports Chaplaincy, the the MTH in Sports Chaplaincy, and 
so we've, we've already got something of a pipeline between those two organizations and really I'd, I'd really like to bring that whole piece together as I said so that we can bring people who are just starting off and beginning and interested right through the whole way um, if they're in senior leadership positions in sports ministry organizations then clearly they can come and study at a higher level and I also I'm also passionate about sports ministry and leadership you know for those who are already in those sports ministry organizations how do we encourage empower um, educate um, and provide continuing professional development for those guys because often those those individuals have been out on their own for years and need the support just like everybody else and sometimes we forget that so it's, it's both ends of the spectrum for me in this whole area of uh, sport well-being and faith um if there was one thing you could change that would you think would make the most significant difference, what would that be? It it would be the it would be access to funding, I think, Dave. In terms of in terms of um, the potential to train as many sports ministers as we can, it costs people money to to set out on those educational pathways. We're in a, a situation now where um, you know we're in difficult circumstances, aren't we, socially? And people aren't going to necessarily have those funds, but it's I feel a, you know, I feel an obligation to to find that money and to release it, and that's part of my job. I feel in these next few years, um, so it's just really about. I've got to convince funders that this is a good thing to spend money on, uh, be they you know faith-based funders or secular, and I, and to do that, I've got to make a, a strong case for why we need sports ministry and sports ministers. I remember Mark Russell saying that um, he had all the money uh, that he needed to do all that God had asked him to do. It's just that it was in other people's bank accounts, <laughs> which I like that line. <laughs> that's, that's a great, that's a great thing. And I think, you know, um, I, I'm, I don't think God wants us to do second best with this. He's never done second best for me. Um, he doesn't want me to do second best for anybody else. And, and I won't accept anything, anything less than the best because that's what he wants. And, I, you know, I'm convinced that, I'm convinced that uh, the resource is there. We just need to unlock it. So, Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. And so our final question is, if you could travel back in time to a significant sporting event, which would it be and why? It, it wouldn't be any of Dave Mail's sporting achievements because I'm tired of hearing about them. But what there are I would... too many. There are too many. <laughs> That's, sorry, let me do that again. I'm tired of hearing about all of them. But <laughs> what, what I would do, and I'm not the only one, what I would do, I'd go back to the 1985 Egg and Spoon Race at All Saints Primary School in Cleveland, North Somerset. Uh, my wife won that race, and it's all she ever talks about. And I just want to be able to understand in more detail the sheer magnitude of that achievement. <laughs> <laughs> very good thank you very much Andrew for joining us and uh, and again thank you for all that you're doing for the sports ministry project uh, in the Church of England and uh, look forward to seeing how this is going to progress pleasure thanks ever so much Hi, my name's Penny Marsh and I work for the South Eastern Baptist Association as a pioneer minister in the Ebsfleet Garden City Ebsfleet is a brand new housing development which will, when completed, have 15,000 new homes. When I started here as a pioneer, I built a team and we began to explore what God might be saying and how we could reach out. A number of things came together that have led to us developing the thing called a Sunday Active. 
Those different elements that came together included a bit of funding that was given to Ebsfleet as an area or a developing community um, for a healthy new town project. And that meant that there was a lot of talk and resources around developing a healthy lifestyle and making Ebsfleet a healthy place to live. At the same time, we had people on our team who had skills and abilities that could be used in the health and fitness area. For example, we have a fitness instructor who's a trainee minister with us. We also have somebody who's trained to lead healthy walks with the local council. And four of us had started running and uh, decided to get our running fitness leadership kind of qualification. And we began to think, what could we do that might use these skills and help people connect? Well, as I said, lots has been said about health, but it occurred to me that nobody was actually talking about spiritual health. And spiritual health, as we know, is an important part of um, who we are and God wants us to connect with him. So we felt this would be a kind of our unique, I'm using inverted commas, selling point and a way that we could bring the gospel into something that would be very accessible for people with no church background. So what does a Sunday morning look like? Well, for us, we would meet at 9am and you had a choice then of the run group, which included a couch to 5k, the hit session, which was indoors with children's play equipment there also so that families could engage with that, the walk suitable for all abilities and there was also the option to simply stay and have coffee and chat with our hospitality team. At 10 o'clock, we'd all pile back and have breakfast together. And from there, we would flow into conversations around the table and a multimedia interactive presentation on an aspect of spiritual health from a Christian perspective. And our desire was that we would leave people with something that the Holy Spirit would use to touch and challenge their lives and lead them to want to find out more about Jesus, eventually becoming disciples. So who's been coming along? Well, we have been really encouraged to see that actually our main, our numbers have doubled and it has been people who wouldn't normally be in church on Sundays who have been coming with their families. And that is really, really exciting. Since COVID, we have put most of that out onto Facebook Live and we've been spending a lot of time connecting with people through WhatsApp and Facebook and other ways that we can do that in the community. We also run a midweek hit session sponsored by the developers and a Couch to 5K course. And we're just trusting that God will use this to help us to make disciples and to grow a church in this community. I hope that's encouraged you. I hope you feel blessed to give something a go and to trust God and just see what he does. Because just as our heart is for those in our community, um, I pray that you will also be able to use what God's given you to reach out and bless others. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Susie and I'm a trainee sports minister with the Diocese of Norwich. And with me is Vicky, who's also a trainee sports minister. Vicky, can you just tell us a little bit um, about what we do? Yeah, sure. So Sports Factory, obviously, um, that works with the diocese. We use sport as a as a common language to engage with people, to to build community, to share faith, and to yeah, to bring the kingdom. Awesome, great. 
And at the moment, um, we are part of a um, project to revitalise or plant 10 churches um, within Norfolk. Vicky, can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so um, within that, we're going into different communities, different areas to engage with the local community, to, to build those relationships and to see how we can engage with those areas and what works best in those areas whether it's I don't know some fitness stuff so maybe pilates and prayer or a social social event so social netball social football just basically utilizing um the equipment and the area that we've got and using that in the best possible way to engage with people within the community through the language of sport and health and fitness adult stuff looks a little bit like doing a fitness class with um, perhaps a prayer at the start with maybe some worship music in the background, using a maybe a church building, maybe a sports hall, whatever that looks like, um, and doing some Pilates movements, so light fitness. You can do a circuit class, um, whatever it is, but basically just a light introduction um, with a thought uh, to link faith and sport or faith and health and fitness or you do a, a sports session, so a social sports session where you try and invite, I don't know, let's say the local mums within the community to try and build a relationship and to share faith, to share life with them and just to get on a, a level basis with them. So the school's work is a little bit different. So obviously in terms of engaging with the community, we'll uh, establish a connection with uh, the head teachers in the area and then we'll build a relationship with, for that. We'll go in for uh, a term or so, just um, to serve the community, to, to get to know people, to build those relationships. Um, not evangelising explicitly within school, but just building those relationships and trying to put our face out in the community to engage with young people and, and children and parents and to, with the hope for them to come to church and to share Jesus with them. Awesome, fantastic. What are the kind of things that you would offer to schools? Yeah, sure. So um, things that we'd offer to schools are, let's say, a lunch club, so facilitated sport, whether that's, uh, I don't know, hockey, netball, using the space that they've got, using the multi-use games areas that they have or the playground or the space, and just being an extra pair of hands to, again, build relationship and just to... Uh, yeah use those spaces to run sports sessions we offer coaching sessions so all our coaches are fully qualified with whatever level that you need to, to coach within school so we're clued up within that um yeah and sometimes after school clubs as well uh yeah in special sports fantastic can you just tell me about the new initiative you've got using um the re curriculum in schools yeah, sure. So Active RE, it's a, a great and fun way to to share uh, RE with, with, with children and older. Um, I find it thrilling myself. It's so fun. There's a specific game within the creation story where you have to act out every single element of um, God creating the world. And it's just so fun to see the children come alive, to see their um, their energy be built up through learning about the Christian faith. Fantastic, amazing. They certainly are good fun. I've enjoyed many of them before. Um, and what is kind of the overall hope um, for, the, for the project, for the churches? The hope for the project is to revitalise or plant 10 churches within uh, however many years to see God's kingdom come, to build relationships, to, to invest in communities and just to see faith just expel in those communities. We just want to see 
yeah, God's kingdom come and, and use the language of sport and health and fitness and well-being to do so. Fantastic, thank you so much. Sport has always been, uh, for me, a big part of my life. And, um, and I've always thought it's an area where the church has never really got properly involved and is even somehow nervous about sport. And uh, so when I came into this role, I was really keen to help churches and dioceses think about how they could be using sport in terms of uh, how you reach your communities, um, kind of the wider mission of sport and all the kind of things we've been talking about. Um, and we've been able to uh, develop a whole sports project. And it's great that since June, we've had Natalie Andrews uh, join us as a team uh, in the role of lead for this sports project. And uh, Nat's with us uh, now, and uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about it. Tell us a little bit about your background, though, Nat. Yeah, sure. So, um well, I'll just tell you a little bit of background right right from when I was doing cross-country when I was 11, shall I? Yeah. Oh, some bad so, memories of that. Oh, no, I, I was one of these weird kids who absolutely loved cross-country. Oh, <laughs> no. I know, I was always like... I used yeah, to hate those kids. Oh, I know, I was, I, and I was also the kid that was always sick at the end of it as well, but... Um, <laughs> I pushed myself so much. Oh man! But, um, but yeah, but uh, at one point when I was eleven, I got the opportunity to choose between dance, which I was really rubbish at, or cross country. And stupidly, I chose dance because I thought at the time that was the kind of thing that girls were supposed to do. Oh even yeah. Even though I was really rubbish at it, um, and then like later on in life, I kind of found running again and I've never looked back since then I absolutely love running um but before before I began my running journey um I actually was at theological college so I was at theological college training for ordination um and so I was before this role I was a, a vicar in the Ely team of churches in the Ely diocese um but then when I saw this role advertised I was like wow something pioneering something new something being able to bring um the sport my passion for sport in a pioneering way so i'm really excited about this project mm. now do you think that um that this role could have been done by somebody who who wasn't into sport well i guess to be honest i, I guess it could be yeah i guess you could have done yeah because really um it's about just being where people are and I mm. think that's the whole thing about this project is actually we're using sports um, as the vehicle to reach people mm. because what, what we found is that there's 50% of the population each week involved in some kind of sporting activity or physical activity and so why wouldn't we go where those people are mm. um, so if you love people um, and if you're passionate about Jesus and about the good news and meeting people where they are, then um, you don't really need to be good at sport or really passionate about sport. But I think it helps. I was going to say, I think it helps. Hearing you talk about the, your own experience of, of activity that helps your well-being. And, you know, yeah. I, th I, I think you definitely that adds to it, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess it does. Yeah. 
It's worth saying, though, isn't it, uh, Nat, that, that we've called this sports and well-being project yeah. because I think often people are put off that whole area by their kind of school experience. They yeah. were the last to be picked, or they were at the back of uh, uh, the back of cross country or whatever. Yeah. Um, but just tell us a little bit about what the aim of this project is, because it's it's not just about increasing sports ministry across the churches. No, no. So, so we're working with seven pilot dioceses predominantly, um, and we want to learn from those dioceses. Uh, each of those dioceses have said, yes, they'd really like to be part of this project. And what we want to do is learn from those dioceses who are going to try and implement some kind of um, sporting activity it, with, with a missional focus or go or, or encourage some kind of sports ministry within their diocese. Um, some of them are already doing stuff, some of them at the very beginning of that journey. And we want to learn from those dioceses about what kind of sports ministry uh, enables us to reach different people. Perhaps those groups of people that uh, the church often finds it difficult to reach. So for example, young people. Um, there, are, there are so many young people who play sport or are involved in sport each week, but also I guess the government has got um, massive strategies around sport and well-being, and we want to try and tie in with that as well. So we're joining in what, what the government are, are trying to promote in terms of us being an active nation, um, go where those people are and learn from it, and then enable uh, each of those dioceses to put a tried and tested strategy in place within their diocesan strategies, a strategy that will uh, reach that 50% of the population and more hopefully, uh, but also a strategy which will then engage and grow community, but also transform people and then tie in with that, that national agenda in terms of making us an active nation. And so at the end of the project, which is a, a, a three-year project at the moment, at the end of the project, we hope that we'll have some learning in place um, and that those strategies will be able to be embedded into the diocesan strategies. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully from that learning, we'll be able to then present an offer, um, a, you know, a tried and tested uh, strategy going forward that uses sport and well-being as a vehicle for reaching, engaging and transforming. Mm. So what you're talking about really is a kind of trying to move from maybe a few church leaders who are interested in sport into a diocese actually being kind of strategic yeah, yeah. in what they're doing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in some ways the, the argument could go, well, why, why are we doing it about sport and not about, you know, like um, the arts or, you know, those other things. But as you said, the numbers are so huge. And I think um, there's, there's been always, in my experience, there's been a little bit of a sense of kind of sport as competition to the church. Um, you know, Sunday morning football being the reason why we've got no young people, for example. Um, and my own experience of, you know, being a mum and being a vicar and, and in ministry was that I never wanted my son to have to choose really between church and being, you know, he's football mad and, you know, plays and, and stuff. And it, it, it's difficult for a lot of parents, isn't it? So I think that sense of being, as you just said, exactly where people are, mm. rather than thinking, how do we get them to leave that behind and come to, to, to what we're offering. It's, I just think it's so much more 
more joined up really and also allows for a bit more of a joined up faith I think because mm. that sense of you know we're talking you know with our colleagues uh, you know Nick Shepherd and everyone about the everyday faith it's finding and following uh, Christ in, in, in our everyday and if your everyday is going to the gym or uh, being part of the park run volunteer team on the Saturday morning or yeah. you know helping coach your son's football team all of that that's about well how do we find and follow Christ in that so it's a discipleship as much as well as evangelism isn't it in that sense yeah absolutely and I think what's really exciting some of the things and some of the conversations that I'm noticing at the moment um, within the sort of leisure industry mm. um, they're, they're talking very much about particularly out of Covid saying actually we really need to partner with other organisations and so actually um, there's a real invitation to the church to be able to partner with different organisations and, and particularly the leisure industry, they're talking about um, having these co-location integrated approaches, which I just really love. I know it's amazing. I've never had someone this week, Nat, say, oh, why when, you know, the, ch the church is struggling financially, are we spending money on, you know, this sports project? This is the kind yeah. of thing we should be cutting. And that seems to be the, you know, that, that strange opinion when actually... This, this is probably the kind of biggest growth area, you know, in our nation. And as you say, the government are, you know, are going to be encouraging people to take more and more exercise uh, yeah. during this period as well. Yeah. And the other, the other exciting thing is, is that there's lots of funding streams that are becoming available. Um, so I heard about one just recently where um, there's going to be £10 million invested um, into about 16 different places, lower socioeconomic mm. uh, groups to encourage football groups to, um, to, to evolve for, for groups of people age 16 plus. But actually on the bump that talks about the funding, they, they mention partnering with churches. So yeah. why, why wouldn't churches want to be involved in something like that? Because when we're, when we're struggling financially perhaps, um, in different places actually there's huge opportunities out there to be involved in really creative ways mm. um, the other thing that I heard yesterday which was really exciting was a lady called Cathy O'Dowd and she she went with a team to climb Everest and she was talking about how interestingly with the team um, she said you can you can get the plan together and you can try and climb Everest like like you would normally climb Everest, if you would normally ever climb Everest. <laughs> <laughs> like anything. Everest. Yeah, yeah. No. Or she said you can use a pioneering approach to climb Everest. And she wasn't talking about pioneering in the sense that we might do in, t in a Christian circle. Uh, but it was really exciting to hear some of the learning that she'd uh, have from, from climbing Everest with this team. And one of the things, again, that was noticed was that uh, where things broke down, so in the plannings uh, before they actually tried to go off on to, um, and climb Everest, um, they had, they said, oh, well, we'll take two-man tents. So they split the team up and they had two-man tents. But what that did was, that, me that meant that at the end of the day, when they were trying to discuss tactics and, and the plans and stuff, they weren't all together as a team and they weren't able to share that information and again it really spoke to me about this project 
that we're working with the seven pilot dioceses, but also all sorts of different other um, partner organisations like um, there are lots of para sports organisations like Sports Chaplaincy UK, Christians in Sport, Kick Ambassadors, people like that, but also other public bodies as well. Um, and actually, I think if one thing that we're learning, which you know we already mentioned um, earlier on, is that that out of COVID, we do need to partner more and be more, much more collaborative. Yeah. I think that's true in the church as well, isn't it? Because, you know, we're, we're, we're classically um, siloed in how we do most things, really. And perhaps another thing that COVID is teaching us is that we're stronger together. So diocese collaborating is, is great. And I know you've got plans for sort of a learning community amongst those seven dioceses. Mm. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. And we've, we've been sort of thinking through different ways of doing it. And it's interesting, isn't it, when you're setting up something new. Um, and, but again, sometimes the tendency, again, to, to think, oh, we'll, we'll bring in this expert uh, to try and sort of teach what's happening. Because I guess that's, that's kind of a safe way of doing things. But again, I suppose um, what we want to really instill with this project and with the learning community is that, that nothing's a failure. Um, years ago, I remember going, I was part of a learning community with, I think it was called Partnership for Missional Church. Mm. Um, and they used the term, the most excellent failure. What's your most excellent failure? And I guess um, as part of the learning, we want to encourage those dioceses to be really radical and just try different things. Um, and for us to be able to learn from one another. Um, and not not so it's just a nice ch talking place, but actually that things are tried on the ground, stories are then fed back in, and then we can monitor and evaluate um, how things are going. And then, and then say, actually, these are the best ways of reaching a particular group of people, perhaps. Yeah. This works really well in an urban setting. This works uh, better in, in a rural setting or with this particular people group. So I'm really excited about the learning community. That's great. I remember Dave saying once, I don't think it's your phrase, Dave, but you said, um, there's no such thing as failure, only prototype. I think it might have been a James Dyson quote, actually, possibly. But anyway, the, um, that sense of we want more failure because you learn through that and that's experimentation and prototype. So, yeah, there's loads of opportunities for that. And I, I wonder if with COVID changing the landscape so much, that the, the kind of old ways, as it were, of, of the, the, the familiar ways that we, we would approach a, 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 an issue, they're, they're just no longer good, are they? They just don't, they're no, no longer fit for purpose, really. And so now we've got that opportunity for more experimentation, almost made, you know, made to be uh, something that, that we have to take on board, even if that wasn't something we were that comfortable with. So perhaps we can be the R&D department rather than the E&D department. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I guess with all that, I just wonder, how do we manage the anxiety around that, that mm. kind of risk taking? Does she not realise we're meant to be questioning her, Heather, in this? No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Sorry. No, it's brilliant. No, it's such a great question, isn't it? <laughs> it is a really good question. Really good question. And actually, you know, 
COVID has raised anxiety levels full stop, hasn't it? You know, and, and actually, I think the lockdown created a lot of mental health tension and, and, and problems, didn't it, for people? Um, you know, hence why exercise remained there as a way to kind of manage that stress, perhaps. But yeah, there is a lot of anxiety around and we're not at our best necessarily when we're anxious so yeah it's it's recognizing that and, and not yeah. people not feeling put under under pressure when yeah. when they're anxious but at the same time as you say inviting them into perhaps mm. that that um that opportunity that it doesn't matter if it doesn't work yeah i was just thinking when you were saying that then i was thinking about like the fight flight freeze response mm. uh, and actually Sometimes I guess in trauma and, and in, in a crisis time, we can, we can be in that freeze response, can't we? Where actually just for our own self-preservation, we can't actually move forward because um, it's too difficult. Well, it's, we're protecting ourselves, mm. um, but, but it's how we then warm ourselves up. And actually movement <laughs> is the thing that enables us to come out of that freeze but then but then the interesting thing again going back to um the everest story was was thinking about sometimes when we're when we don't know what to do what we what we tend to try and do is is do something active don't we because we feel like we're in control again um and so there's a there's a balance isn't there i guess in terms of being active and responding uh to where we're at as a church um, but also maybe just pausing and listening and waiting and and planning and able to to, to be strategic. It's worth also I just reflect as you were saying some of that Nat that actually when you play sports, uh, particularly competitive sports, a bit of pressure is quite an important thing, isn't it? It is, yeah. Uh, but there's there's a danger of no pressure, and so you don't really. Yeah. But obviously the other end is you too much pressure and you, you know, you can't perform. And, and it's finding that that kind of sweet spot. And I suppose in a way, COVID has put some pressures on us yeah. uh, uh, as a church and as a nation and communities. And then it is how do we turn that into positive things? And, you know, the work you're doing is helping, I think, in doing that in terms of taking pressure, but actually using it in a constructive way rather than a kind of, ah, ah, yeah. I can't do anything, I can't do anything. Yeah, that, that is perhaps where sport is so helpful for our spirituality as well and our growth as people, isn't it? And that well-being and sport um, does teach us about ourselves. Um, you know, earlier on in our, our podcast series, we, we spoke to um, Archbishop Stephen and, you know, that sense of, uh, of kind of how we how we are aware of God's presence in our lives, mm. weaving through our lives. Actually, sport gives us some skills in that, doesn't it, in terms of, of knowing ourselves and, as you say, Dave, perhaps, knowing when we're at our best and when we're not likely to respond in the way that's going to be uh, Christ-like or whatever you know so there's loads of there's so much in sport that that does equip us I think not just well I suppose it's for as St Paul says to run the race isn't it to um to to be in the Christian life uh, as well as um as well as kind of helping us to feel better about uh, the, the the times that we're in as it were or manage all of that yeah. and I think I think it was Bishop Libby was saying, wasn't she? You know, about that in a way, sport is part of the way that God has created us, yeah. isn't it? And you know, that Eric Little, God made me to run fast. You know that um, yeah. we don't. You know, I think 
there used to be a day when I almost apologised for doing sport. No one, you know, I should be doing kind of more serious, important things. Mm. Um, but then that realisation, no, actually, this is part of the way that God has made me is to enjoy the physical and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Apart from when I lose, obviously, it's not quite the same. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> no, we can definitely hear that. Can't we? And, and also, I think just going back to that thing about um, everyday faith and being a, an everyday missional disciple, I mean, the, the amazing opportunities I've had just running, you know, running a race or running just with some friends and them asking me about my faith, but also having like real insight into uh, and being with people who, who aren't Christians and just seeing the kind of things that they talk about, the things that that they're involved in. Actually, I began to realise when I was a vicar, I began to realise how little I was spending time with people who weren't Christians. Mm. Most of my time was spent in the church. Um, And I thought, I've got to do something about this. So I joined my local running club and I've had far more opportunities to share my testimony with people in that respect than I had um, often in the church setting itself. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. What do you think um, we can learn from the world of sport? I'm, I'm really aware of things like Park Run, for example, which are fairly new, aren't they, in, in the grand scheme of things, but have, have created so many local links for people, so much community. Mm. There's a lovely um, culture in Park Run, and I, I just really feel like there's so much we can learn as the church as well as contribute. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think um, one of the great things about Park Run, for example, is that that anybody can go. It's really, really inclusive. And I love as well how they've partnered with um, GP surgeries for sort of social prescribing. So if somebody's recovering from a heart attack or something like that, then the GP might prescribe Park Run for Mm. their recovery and their rehabilitation. Um, one of my friends, uh, he, he works in the, um, the learning disability sector um, and he was really keen on enabling some of his, um, his colleagues to encourage people to come along um, and, and try Parkrun um, and, and it's been amazing and it's so lovely to see, you know, you've got the people who go out and they, they do a 5k in 16 minutes and then people who take nearly 50 minutes but it doesn't matter because the culture is really inclusive mm. and so I think we've, we can learn a lot from from that in that way mm. I also think the way in which they get um, people to volunteer again it, it just feels really easy to be a volunteer there mm. um, I, you know I've just gone along and, and they say just put your name down I know like there's safeguarding issues and things like that we've got to be really aware of but I think the way in which they handle everything is really really well done Mm. Um, and it makes volunteering easy so I think um, that's another thing that we could learn from Park Run and then also they think carefully I guess about um, that yeah there's the, the hospitality side so they're very encouraging so all the marshals and stuff mm. are really encouraging so there's a real spirit of hospitality um but also i think afterwards there's often coffee involved and cake um which is always really important isn't it so mm. yeah there's, there's huge amounts we can learn from uh, things like park run 
it's about creating community, isn't it? That's what they're doing. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of lessons for us as churches about, as you say, uh, about how they've done it. Well, no, it's been absolutely fabulous to have you um, on the episode today. And uh, and it's great to see how the sports project is going to shape up and, uh, and pioneer, hopefully, some new ways forward. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Nat. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been brilliant. So, of course, all our guests uh, had some very interesting people, sports people that they would like to um, uh, to spend time with, as well as uh, uh, times of sporting achievements that they would like to go back to. I wonder if now um, they might have uh, thought to invite Marcus Rashford, especially Bishop Libby from her Manchester United uh, supporting status. But um, it's been a really interesting experience watching um, someone like Marcus Rashford, who's obviously an incredibly talented footballer, but kind of using his influence for the common good through this uh, summer in terms of the children and um, and the, the school dinners. And it sort of feels like it's kind of part of that thing about we love our football, we're a kind of footballing nation. And yet somehow the, the sports people seem to be in a different realm because they earn so much money and all of that. And it's just been a really nice experience to watch uh, watch somebody from that realm really kind of connecting with real life and how sport and and kind of politics and real life and everything is in to get integrated in together um, that's I think that's been really encouraging to me and sort of seeing the power of sport in some ways as well in our kind of national conversation yeah I mean I think Libby picked up on that didn't she and I think sport you know has a, a, a massive impact both for good and sometimes not so good uh, but you know uh, 50% of the population are involved in some kind of sports and well-being. There's probably a lot more than that who are interested in it, who, like me, turn to the back page, as it were, before they turn to the front page. Um, and and it, it, its influence, you know, particularly through the media, I think, has grown and developed. And, um, uh, you know, as a church, one of the dangers is that we spend our time complaining that people are at sporting events and not at church and so we see it as a kind of either or mm. rather than a both and um and for someone like myself who's been involved in playing and watching sport all my life uh, i've never seen that divide between church and sport and uh, you know i've longed to bring them together and it's great you know to hear from nas a bit about the project mm. and and how that's really beginning to happen uh, yeah. through these pilot dioceses. Mm. And of course, COVID has really affected uh, oh, yeah. all areas of our lives, hasn't it? But it, I think sport has been very particularly uh, affected, really. Yeah, I mean, that kind of, it's the well-being bit, isn't it? You know, we suddenly, when we were only allowed out for an hour, uh, you know, a day, suddenly going for a walk or a run or, you know, doing exercise in the garden or whatever it might be, we suddenly realised this is really important. And I think it um, it just reconnects us with that we are physical beings. You know, mm -hmm. that God has given us bodies. I think one of the dangers with the church is we just think about ourselves as spirits in some way. Mm -hmm. And yet sport reminds us that we are, you know, physical, spiritual, mental beings. And they, these are all connected to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and I think I think the COVID has reminded us of that, really, of how important that is to our whole well-being and therefore the important place that sport and well-being has. And I think it's important, this idea of well-being, as it, because one of the dangers of this is we tend to think, oh, I'm not really into sport or whatever. But 
mm. you know, huge elements of our population are involved in, whether it's yoga classes or, you know, uh, running groups or, mm. you know, all that sort of thing that go on, not always organised. Um, and it's also that realisation that most sport isn't professional sport. It is a few no. getting together and obviously with kids and all those kind of things. Mm. Uh, mm. But, I think but, you're yeah. right. It's highlighted how important sport is and well-being. Those things are that physical part of our life is to our our well-being. Mm. And it's also, I mean, obviously pointed out to us and reminded us to how how we're social beings as well in terms yeah. of that lack of contact. And I think for for many people in the church, they've been um, you know really gutted about not being able to gather in uh, as as church, you know, physically uh, during the two lockdowns that we we've experienced. And and yet um, for many people outside of the church, the the loss that they've felt is in their gym or in their park run community and that kind of thing. So I think it's also there seeing the connections between. Um, uh, between that sense of belonging that we experience at church and how how those sports clubs and and uh, you know as you say like you know coaching a a, a, um, a a children's football team or you know those kind of things they're, they're real kind of social places aren't they places of connections for people and I do think um, I think that's just part of it from a fresh expressions point of view has always been that you can think um, that, that those that those relationships there are kind of prime for uh, for thinking about how how God impacts on our community living, on how we are with one another, uh, how we can honour one another as well. So I think that's that's something. I mean, I'm desperately missing the gym um, being shut, and I know you're missing your your tennis um, during lockdowns, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, um, as you say, that's partly about our social beings, and and again, it just reminds us how those those kind of places you know play an important part in our local communities mm. how you know if we are called to be salt and light as christians how important it is that we're involved in that um and and that comes into some of our, you know setting god's people free every day mm. you know that actually this is all interlinked and yeah yeah it is um, out our faith in those kind of places yeah and um for me as well that sense of i'm hopeless on my own but if i'm at the gym i'll do it and i can i get motivated and encouraged by others and that's the same as our christian walk isn't it it's like this isn't um our, our kind of focus on sport isn't just to grow the church but it's to recognize that actually the, the good things that we learn about ourselves and discipline and doing the things that we need to do even though yeah. sometimes we don't feel like it that that's also part of our kind of christian discipleship as individuals and as communities to kind of encourage one another and keep keep going on the path and, and that. And I was interested in um, uh, Andrew's uh, work in Ridley and the, the kind of training pathways that, that people are, are going on because, you know, not everybody is sporty, but everyone can encourage sport and wellbeing in their ministries. Um, but obviously there is a room, there is space, isn't there, for people who really feel very called cool to this area. Um, in order to kind of really, really sort of catalyze this within within the wider church and within uh, others' ministries in 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 parishes and, and all over the place. Yeah, I think that uh, issue which Andy brought up of leadership capacity is really important with this because unless we are building up capacity, as you say, both with those who've got that specific gifting around sports, but also just generally helping our church leaders to think about how they can equip people uh to be involved in sport but also how it can be used both in evangelism and discipleship then 
we need to be we need to be really intentional about that and it's great to see what's happening at Ridley and beginning to happen elsewhere uh, to enable that to happen. Mm. Oh, it's been such an interesting episode. I didn't know as much about the sports um, project as obviously you did, Dave. But um, I, I really hope that as uh, as we've heard from the stories in um, in Ebbsfleet and Norwich uh, as well, that we kind of got a, everyone listening can have got a better a better feel for 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 where we're at in encouraging this kind of work. And I get and we've always said that this um, podcast isn't meant to be the uh, last word in, on a subject. So do get in touch with us if you're interested. Definitely and you'd like to make some uh, observations and comments or challenge us or, or kind of just really, you know, take the conversation forward. So probably the easiest way to get in touch with us is um, via, if you're on Twitter, you can uh, tweet me at, at RevHeath, R-E-V-H-E-A-T-H, um, or at Dave Mail 4 Mail as in M-A-L-E, uh, and don't forget the four, otherwise it'll be some other poor Dave Mayer will be getting lots of strange tweets. You can also go to um, the Evangelism and Discipleship page on the Church of England's website and you'll see there that the podcast has its own link and then you can fill out the form there if you'd rather do it via um, email uh, to, to us as well. And we'd really love to hear your comments about that. Thank you all for listening and uh, hope you'll tune in next time. <laughs>